Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am glad you're here. The Finding Refuge podcast emerged from a desire to have conversations about the intersection of grief and liberation. This podcast explores how we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. It features guests from various backgrounds, lineages, and lived experiences. I hope you enjoy listening. Welcome to episode two of season four. I had the honor and pleasure of interviewing Sean J. Moore. And while we have never met in person, I imagine we will soon. And we had a beautiful conversation. Sean J. Moore is a mindfulness educator and coach, stillness architect, and Buddhist Dharma practitioner. Residing at the intersection of leadership and mindfulness, Sean creates sacred spaces for stillness and self-inquiry to help changemakers align their strengths, intention, and impact. Through his integrative approach, he holds transformative containers for self-renewal, personal discovery, and capacity building that ease clients on their journey towards peace, clarity, and freedom. The path to collective growth is rooted firmly in our personal growth. As we work toward collective freedom, Sean asks, How can you begin to support yourself to be able to support others? Are you pouring into others from the excess of your full cup? Sean has an intuitive way of weaving all that he has learned on his path to help those on the inner journey of discovery to reflect on those questions, including meditation, sound healing, yoga nidra, and coaching. Sean has worked in higher education and student affairs for over 10 years specializing in leadership development, training, program design, and workshop facilitation, with a particular focus on diverse populations. Reckoning with his own contemplation of burnout, purpose, and alignment, Sean transitioned out of his role as Associate Dean of Student Life and Leadership at Morehouse College in the fall of 2021 to focus more on mindfulness and stillness-based training programs and workshops. While leadership resonates with him deeply, It is his personal and spiritual practices that allows him to continue to show up for himself and others. He is a yoga teacher, sound and Reiki practitioner, meditation teacher, yoga nidra facilitator, and Gallup certified strengths coach, all focused through a Buddhist lens and 17 years of personal practice. In addition to holding community space through classes, he provides training and leadership and strengths-based development, and workshops in mindfulness, meditation, and sound healing. He has contributed workshops, practices, and educational opportunities for celebrities like Questlove and Dylan Burnside, as well as various yoga studios and colleges, Yoga International, Ohm Stars, Melanin Moves Project, The Human Rights Campaign, Spotify, and Lululemon. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sean Jay Moore.
Welcome to the space, Sean. I am so thrilled um, you said yes to being a guest on the podcast. Thank you for being willing to spend some time with me um, diving into whatever we're going to get into today. So thank you. Of course. Listen, Michelle, thank you so much for having me in the space, inviting me in. And I'm just excited for this conversation. Yeah, I am too. Um, I don't think we've ever met in person. Have we? We have not. But I have like seen you from afar and been like, what's what's going on? And and you've worked with many of my friends and teachers, Tracy and Octavia are two of them and many other people. And so no, I've been like witnessing and um, holding a lot of reverence for um, your practice and your work and what you're bringing forth. Um, even though we haven't had an opportunity to meet in the flesh in person. Well, I want to say thank you. And, and that reverence is, is held saying for the work that you're the really important work that you're doing as well. So um, thank you. That, and that sincerely means the world. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would love for you to share some about your, how you are, how are you and your practice. Sometimes I avoid the word work, um, um, but your, your practice, what it is you do in the world. So I'd love to begin there with how you're feeling now and what's present. And so listeners can learn a little bit more about your, your practice and what you're up to. Yeah. Um, thank you for asking that. Um, I, you know, sometimes we go through the day and realize like, am I checking in and slowing down? Um, it's like, how am I? Um, I'm feeling resourced. Um, I'm feeling really resourced. And um, as somebody who was a bit under the weather uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, it feels good to almost like be back into that um, balanced sort of stride of connecting to the work and connecting to the folks that are around me. So resources sort of really how I'm feeling at the moment, which is a, is a good feeling, especially as sort of being in these sort of ebbs and flows of just life and how things are changing, evolving and the things that are happening in the world. It's It feels good to sort of be in that space, to to be able to approach the work that I do from a resource space. So yeah, um, just a, I guess a little bit about the work that I do. Um, I always like to say that I create sacred space for self-inquiry and personal discovery. Um, and a lot of that is, you know, with this question that you asked, like, how am I doing? It's for me, I like to create those spaces for folks so that they can begin to ask those questions and dive into that level of self-inquiry on how they're showing up in the respective work that they do. Um, you know, I always like to say that, like, when it comes to sort of healing work or connecting and social justice work in our communities, I'm not always the person on the front line, but I want to pour into the people that are on the front line doing their work. And so it's really creating those containers for folks to dive deeper into exploring who they are, to find that sense of empowerment, and then also just slowing down to be present with themselves with whatever's coming up in in their daily lives. So it's a lot of space holding and it's 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 fun. And I, I enjoy being able to and know it's a privilege to be able to do that work and and really um connect to that. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I appreciate what you named about um, healing and social justice work and pouring into people on the front lines and, and holding space. And I have, I have two questions and I'll ask them one at a time. So the first one I'd love for you to speak to is 
about what you're noticing in your spaces. And I ask this as a space holder myself and as a facilitator and as someone who's deeply sensitive and feeling into all that is happening on our planet now, has happened, the things we anticipate. I'm curious to know, like, what's, what are, you, where are there themes that are emerging in the spaces you're holding right now that you're curious about or that are just, um, that you have questions about? I'd love to hear some. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I would love to hear about what, what you're noticing too. For me, what I'm noticing in the space is that there's a lot of friction right now, right? And it's friction, particularly in what is emerging in the world now. And I think that as we sort of, you know, depending on where you are and what your perspective is, whether we're out of the pandemic or we're moving out of it, we're in another one, what, whatever that looks like, when we think about 2020 and where we sort of have moved now, the world is looking very different. And I think there's a lot of sort of competing energies that are either asking for us to go back to the way things were, and there's the push to evolve where we are at. And I think as the world is starting to open up and sort of connect in new ways, that, that we're experiencing a lot of that friction. And I noticed that a lot of folks that I get a chance to work with are questioning like what does this new entity look like? Like, if we've seen the world sort of move in a different energy through the pandemic and understanding sort of we we can move and approach our work in the world in a different way, what can I create now? And so I think there's a there's a it's a beautiful energy um, that that friction sort of provides to us. But I do feel like we're in this interesting sort of liminal space of something has ended, something is forming something is being birthed but we're not yet at the precipice of that new thing being birthed and i think that's where the sort of the uncertainty and a little bit of the discomfort is coming in of what is being birthed and i think in that mystery there's a lot of possibility too and i think that we're seeing a lot of the friction the possibility um and the uncertainty all sort of ball together in this really interesting way yeah that that part thank you for naming <laughs> I was like, that's what's going on. <laughs> Thank you for naming it in that way. It makes sense to me now, you know? And I've felt it and I've noticed something similar about friction. Um, and and what I really love about what you what you shared is the the beauty in that liminal space and the space between. There's also some discomfort, right? And of course there's suffering that we are feeling implicated in responding to not even yet aware of right all of that i i really appreciate that framing and the ending and the the birthing and that between space as well and just how what i've noticed is like that friction on people's skin when they are in space together if that makes it's like not knowing how to be with each other not knowing how to talk to each other um reactivity in a way that feels so much more intense probably because we're overwhelmed or unsure or not skilled um, at being in that with the uncertainty, right? The tolerance to be with uncertainty is a, that's a practice and a skill that has to be built. Yeah, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head there. I think it's interesting. You know, I, I like the way that you framed this idea of like feeling it on our skin because the words, even before you said that the word that came up is that energy of friction feels dense right that like we are feeling it in every aspect of our it's not very it's not a subtle energy at all it's very dense 
And so in that, we are figuring out or thinking about ways that we can approach this denseness, this friction, this uncertainty much more skillfully. And I think that's really the power of us leaning into the stillness practices that are available for us is that like, hey, we create those containers to sort of slow down and be present with this. Like, how can I communicate how I feel about what's happening in the world in a skillful way, right? How can I be with someone that's grieving in a skillful way? How can I approach the way that society is changing in a very skillful way? And so I think it's a nice way for us to sort of connect to the energy of change, right? And again, what I love about the idea of change is that it's actually sort of a um, a neutral figure. It really depends on how we are going to react and respond to it, right? Again, there's that mystery, there's that discomfort, but then there's also possibility and there's power in that. And so as we're looking at global change, right, international change, individual change, local community change, how can we slow down to really observe that change authentically for what it is versus what our sometimes knee-jerk reaction is to say like, oh man, this is scary. I, I don't I don't know how to how to sit with this versus, hmm, this is scary. Interesting. Let me interrogate that. Let me witness this. Let me observe what's happening here. And in that pause, maybe we can approach it in a different way to be in that level of connection. Yeah, I I went feeling into what you shared about skills and change. And I wrote down like, what skills do we need to meet the evolution, the changes that are occurring that are actually always happening in some way? But change doesn't always feel that way in my human experience, right? It's like everything's steady, I'm here, and then change happens. Well, actually we're evolving all the time. So I'm, I'm present to that. And also what you named about stillness practices, which I wanna talk some about, people's tendency in response to fear and friction is to speed up, not to slow down, right? And 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 it, things just feel fast in the world and it feels noisy to me. And, and that can lead to like speeding up too versus getting quiet right? And listening and tuning in. And I'm curious to know for you uh, on your own path, like what led you to stillness practices <laughs> and to this place of, of some wisdom about, I'd say a great deal of wisdom about the liminal space and uncertainty, which we'll, we'll dive into a little more specifically. What led you to this place of, of needing stillness practices? I think it's that very sentiment that you mentioned, this idea that like we are sort of uh, programmed or ingrained to go. And I'm a person I always talk like I was I participated in grind culture. I was that person in undergrad when I after I graduated, I worked in in higher education for over about like 10 or 12 years, um, a very fast paced space when we work with students and, you know, training, leadership development. All of that is sort of in my focal point of, of the work that I do. But part of that also was, you know, being present and connecting with students. Space holding has always been sort of that through line in the work that I do. But also sort of that it was a constant go in motion, staying late, getting into the office at 8 a.m., leaving at 10 p.m., getting right back up and doing that same thing over and over. And I had to realize that part of that is like moving fast is actually the easy part. <laughs> Slowing down is what really becomes sort of the work. And I realized even when I connected, so my my entry point to the work has always been meditation, right? Back in high school, I read Siddhartha uh, by Herman Hesse, and that was like my 
entry point to Buddhism, entry point to meditation. I was this little black queer kid in Baltimore reading this book. I was a bookworm. And from there, I just like, oh, I could just like sit and like be present and sort of dictate how my thought processes are going and thinking about that. And I'm like, cool. So I would do my own sort of meditation thing to myself. This is before meditation was cool. So I'm like behind in my dorm room with the door closed. Hey, hold on for a second, meditating. And so like fast forward to me a little bit older as an adult and meditation had been a personal thing, but I ended up connecting to yoga. And from the yoga perspective, I was doing like hot yoga, Bikram, vinyasa. I'm like, I love this because it, it connected to that constant need to go, like, right? I'm flowing from posture to posture. I'm sitting with that heat, that tapas, right? Being in that energy. And I was like, oh, this is great. I love yoga. So mindful. And it wasn't as I know we, uh, and earlier you mentioned Octavia. It was when I went to Sacred Chill, I took my first yin yoga class. And I was like, what the hell is this? I This is terrible. Like, I was just like, this is terrible. And I realized I had been running from slowing down. And that, that being in those postures for that long time, it was one of the first times outside of short, small meditation practices that I really sort of sat with myself. And, you know, I know, you know, in, in the yoga space, we always talk sometimes when we slow down, our emotions come up. I That happened. Like I slowed down and I was in a posture and I was crying. I was just on the mat crying. But it was the first time in a really long time that I had intentionally slowed down and stopped. And it was from there that I had like that glimpse of stillness, right? That I'm like, okay. Then I got connected to the practice of yoga nidra and then sound healing and then different meditation practices and really realized that like, there's a lot of magic in that still point to just sort of be present, to reconnect to the things that are already in us, right? Like, and I know at that point before I was connected to stillness practices, I was just always on the go. and. I was like functionally operating in a burnout space, not realizing that like, I was like, I'm producing, I'm getting things done, I'm, I'm doing. But the moment I slowed down and my cup was full, I realized that my creativity looked different. My The way I was connecting to people looked and felt different. The way I was sort of leaning into sort of the my, some of my entrepreneurship work looked very different. It was coming from such an embodied space and such a, uh, internally remembered space that I just, I was sort of hooked on this, the whole stillness thing. I'm like, yeah, this is, this is where we need to be. But again, I just kept coming back to the fact that why was this so difficult? Right. But again, society sort of programs us to always be on the go. We feel guilty. Think about times where you probably say, Hey, I need to take a break or I'm, I'm going to, you know, pause for a second. We immediately start I'm like, Ooh, is it okay for me to do that? Like is for me to slow down and rest. Am I am I going to be judged by somebody, right? And so really realizing that again, when we kind of go back to this theme, this this theme of friction, again, where that stillness is actually a friction against what we see every day. And so how can we sort of push back against some of those norms of sort of being on the go and really take time, prioritize time to find that stillness? just to be present with ourselves in a really, really intentional way and just noticing what can come up for us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that and, and sharing about resistance to stillness. 
or what can emerge when we're still or what comes up that has been buried, right? When we're still and that, yeah, that overwhelm that can happen in that space and not knowing what to do with that and just how difficult it can be to allow oneself to be in that space of stillness because everything else is moving so fast. It's such a strong counter message to how many of us have been conditioned and also the urgency of the times and also whatever we're like, whoever we're caring for and whatever needs, needs care, right? Like there are many factors that I think contribute to a lack of one's capacity or ability to be still because there are conditions in place that don't always allow for that. And, and what a gift it is when we're able to be still and sit with it and get quiet as I named earlier. And I'm, I'm wondering what your greatest teacher has been from stillness. Like what's one of, like, what's one of the lessons from stillness that you have learned that feels like such a, a, a teacher? Yeah. I want to say, I guess the, the first one is, um, and there's, there's a few things that are coming up for me. So I'm like, which one, which one, but the one that's coming up for me sort of immediately is that stillness really helps us break cycles. Right. Again, when we think about how fast society asks us to move, all of these sort of directional sort of pressures that take us moving one direction, when we take a, a t- when we take moments just to slow down, we really realize one how often we're on autopilot. Like we just sort of move and do things because it's like the thing we need to do, or the way it's always been done, or just I got to do it because it needs to be done. And when we slow down. And we really have space to really interrogate and sort of get curious around some of the decisions that we make, the ways that we think, the ways that we approach things. There's so much power in that ability to now be able to do or think or approach something differently. And so I always look at that as a way for us to sort of break some of those cycles. And I think that also goes as the the two competing ideas in my head that I'm like, which one would it be? It's also, it's a reminder that we have the power to be gentle with ourselves and execute compassion with ourselves, right? Because so often in our sort of need and push to move forward and go, we're sort of bumping up against things and, and exhausting ourselves and, you know, putting our physical bodies in the way of all of these capitalist needs, right? Like I know so many people, and I can speak for myself, even I want to say about a month ago, I was walking around sick. I went to the, you know, the doctor and he's like, hey, you, you've been sick for like two weeks now. I'm like, oh, I needed to slow down. And, and it was one of those periods where I realized I was out of my practice in a way that I didn't have that level of awareness, right? And so when we create that space to slow down, we can be more observant of what's going on in our own experience, what's going on in our bodies, what's going on in the experience and lives of the people that are around us. And how can we connect to that in a different way that helps us communicate more skillfully and more mindfully? So, yeah, it's 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 a bit of that. We have the opportunity to think differently and break cycles, along with the ability to be gentle with ourselves and really execute a level of compassion uh, with ourselves. That same compassion that we might share with or for somebody else, we can slow down and really, you know, share that with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. The the both pieces of it, right? The compassion and gentleness towards self and then how that's expressed out um with others um and and through our relationships. And what you I read it what you read, what you said about stillness helps break cycles. I was like, word, yes, that is it. 
and what I was feeling is that so much of what I'm experiencing because people are activated is a resistance to stillness and like um, a lack, like a lack of embodiment, <laughs> um, a lack of groundedness and taking action and expecting to be skillful. <laughs> and I love this, the um, feeling in my body and imagery of even being still and that disrupting just as much as if not more than some of the other actions that people might take um, because stillness can lead us to that embodied grounded tethered space right mindful space discerning space so i just i really love that as a framing and as an offering for how we break cycles because i think myself included many of us have been conditioned to do the opposite of that not only because of grind culture but what it means to be an activist or an organizer or like you it's not stillness you better be out in the streets you know you better be at the rally you better be working yourself to death for the cause and this is the it's like the well no actually there's another path that might get us there so thank you yeah and i think this is the time where we need our practices the most right and i say this all the, all the time when I'm walk, working with my meditation teacher trainees is that this idea of like, yeah, we can practice when life feels good and things are balanced and things are, are great. Right. But it's when we hit this level of friction, this level of resistance where we really need our practice. I think Thich Nhat Hanh or Chunga Trungpa Rinpoche talks a lot about meditation and action. Right. It's like, how do we take what we cultivate here in this moment on our mats and allow that to shape how we navigate in the world? When we have our, our practice, our stillness practice, whatever that looks like, that helps us come more centered when we're at negotiations for something major in, in the community, right? Or in any of the spaces that we're in, when we're in roads of having difficult conversations with somebody that's causing us difficulty, it's that practice, that wellspring that we pull from that we've cultivated in our practice that we can approach that and each other in a way in which we're minimizing the level of suffering that's in the world. It's one of the things where it's like, yeah, we all were sort of doing this. We could really approach just shape society different, right? This like I, I think there's there's a lot of power to that of like slow down and just notice what's there for you in this moment. But so mm -hmm. much we're we're going that we don't see those those things in, right in front of us. Mm-hmm. It's so powerful these these practices and the ways you're talking about them and. I know a while back I saw one of your offerings about the liminal space and I'm thinking about what we're talking about around stillness or even yoga nidra and rest practices and working between realms and accessing other realms through stillness through quiet and I'd, I'd I was like so struck when I saw that um, and I'd love to hear some about um, the liminal space right the space between the space where we're able to I've been studying shamanism for a while. So the non-ordinary reality that we can access and bring into this reality to respond to what is going on um, from that place of stillness or that place of opening up to the reality that there are other realms. This is what I believe. And so I'd love to hear some about liminality and what you think about it. I think you've named it when you talked about like where we are now and and we're evolving and we're in the between space or an ending and a beginning or birthing, right? That space between. I'd love to hear more about it. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've been fascinated with this idea of liminality and it's like how often we are in sort of this space of change, right? 
And even in doing research and connecting, it's the academic in me that wants to go sort of deep into it. But just even understanding like the origins of the idea of liminality or one of the sort of more formalized origins when we look at there was, you know, the idea of liminality is a sociology term. Right. And it came from a researcher actually observing uh, and a rites of passage process for an African tribe. Right. Where there were young boys who were transitioning into men and they were going into their rites of passage ceremony that would mark that transition, right? So even the idea of liminality in itself is a threshold, right? We're crossing a threshold. And when we think about that from a door, we're moving from one room to the next, right? We're moving from inside to outside. We're moving from one space to the next. And if we look at the the idea of liminality, so many things in our lives mark that, right? When we think about marriage, we think about new jobs, starting something, anything, creating a business, connecting with friends, all of these things sort of really exist in that liminal space where we're moving from one thing and moving to the next. And sort of even in that idea, you know, I love the connection because I like when I see things through different cultures, even in Buddhism, there's a there's a concept of liminality, which is the bardo, right? Which is that the idea that there's rebirth and when we die, we are reborn and the space in between is the bardo, right? It's the same thing as the liminal space, that something is ending, something new is beginning, and then there's this space in between. And one of the things I, I like I would talk about when we sort of approach change is that that space in between, we try to rush through that. We don't want to sit in that. We don't want to be in that space. And so we try to like start through it, to get through it, to get to the new thing. When in reality, again, we again t- thinking about stillness practices and slowing down, if we sit in that space, again, and I say this all from the perspective of ensuring that sitting in the space also means sitting in that space safely, right? It's not saying that you're staying in a, a terrible situation because you're like, oh, I want the the change that comes out of this. No, in a in a safe way that we approach it, but what is possible for us, right? And also noting where we are in that process. That am I still very tied to the old thing? Have I created space to grieve that that thing ended, right? One of the the major ways that I noticed this in my life was when I was transitioning careers. When I stepped out of student affairs and I wanted to lean into this mindfulness and education space full time, I was like, oh, man, I'm in a, I'm doing what I needed to do. I'm walking in my passion and I'm also grieving a career identity that I was in for over a decade, and so how do we hold both of those things together? That's part of where we are in the liminal space of sort of exploring that and then allowing ourselves or prepping ourselves to meet that change, right? And so we're aware that change is going to happen. If we slow down and really sit in our present in the liminal space, we can really prep ourselves for a level of sustainable change that could be much more deeper and much more impactful versus hey, I'm just going to run through this blinders closed and blinders down and sort of trying to get to the next thing. If we really slow down, this is where we get long lasting, deeper, more transformational change. Yeah, I love that. And the link between different rites of passage and cultures and endings and beginnings, right? This resonance uh, cross-culturally throughout time. Um, in the way that we think about liminality and transition really in that threshold and the way you spoke about it. And I love this link between being in that liminal space between space and sustainability and the tendency instead as you named is to rush through that period because it's uncomfortable for many, 
most of us probably. And what would it be like to lean into the um, richness of that transition, which I, ju- I think that's difficult to do um, for for many of us. And what you named about the example you gave about grieving a transition, a, a career change, and maybe even a change in in how you did your work and how you thought of yourself. Right? You didn't. If you hadn't allowed yourself to grieve that and be in that between space and acknowledge it what would have happened versus allowing yourself to acknowledge something's different now or I'm in the in-between or I'm evolving, right? And I don't exactly know, you may have known exactly where you were going, but sometimes we don't know, right? It's, it's not always a linear path. Um, and, and just trusting that process too. So I love this, this teaching around the liminal space and, um, building our capacity to be in it, um, which is really being in that, that unknown, but also the richness, the gifts that can come from that, that liminal space, the, the space between the ending and the beginning. So thanks for yeah. One of the things I'll say about that is this is where, as practitioners, as folks moving through this space, is how can we start to resource ourselves? And, and I think this is sort of coming back full circle. You know, there's this um, psychological development sort of theory called Sanford's uh, theory of challenge and support. And it's as an educator, it's one of my favorite um, theories. And this idea that to grow, we have to match the level of challenge that we're putting in front of ourselves with an adequate amount of support. And it's like, as we continue to meet challenge, we have to continue to up that level of support. And that continues to go. And it's that sort of balance that helps us move towards growth and change. And I, I think that that's a beautiful message to take with us as we move through whatever challenging liminal spaces we find ourselves in is that as that challenge exponentially grows, we have to be nimble to sort of try to identify what resources would help me feel supported. And that could be personal resources, connecting with community, finding the right practices, all of those kind of things. But to really sort of interrogate what would I need to feel fully supported and fully empowered in these moments and times and really being, and I say this all the time, how do how can we be more bullish about the things that we need? Because I know that quite often this whole idea of resourcing ourselves and connecting to self-care can sometimes be looked at as feeling selfish, but it's like, if, if we keep it just focused on ourselves, then very much so it is, right? But this idea that I need to be resourced so that I can fully show up in the spaces that need me for me, it's like, how do we shift our thinking around that to really embrace support to help us show up? Um, not in the show up uh, because I need to work and grind from a capitalist perspective, but show up to be present for my community in ways that help us all get free. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to ask you how you started this conversation with saying that you're feeling resourced. And I want to ask you um, what you need, Right to feel resourced um, because I want people to hear that and feel into that and hold that um, with you. Yeah, um, it's making time. And, and this is where this whole idea of like being bullish on the things that you need sort of come in. And I had to have this tough conversation with myself. It's like, you know, the things that would be great for you. Why are you not prioritizing that? Because you know what happens when it looks like when you aren't connected to those things and what it looks like when you are. 
And so even scheduling things. So for me, it's being very intentional with my practice, being much more engaged in my meditation practice, connecting with sound, um, leaning into yoga ninja practices, but then also looking, thinking about the things that really just bring me joy, making time for gaming. Like that's a big, that's something that that is exciting for me. And so making time for that getting the right level of rest, making time to read, right? So finding the the things that really sort of light me up. Even yesterday, like I, I took myself out on a lunch date and went and got my favorite sushi and just sort of sort of enjoyed that. And so really leaning into the things of like, what is something that I can do today that is intentionally sort of pouring back into myself? And, you know, I didn't do an extensive list of like, what are three or four or five things that you can do? It's like, what's one thing today that's going to put a smile on my face that makes me feel centered and resourced? And just engaging in that and ensuring that that is the thing that does not get bumped off your schedule, doesn't get moved off your calendar, it doesn't come off your to-do list, but that is a thing that is there and you are negotiating to keep that there with yourself. Mm-hmm. I love that. And that you said it, you know, wasn't three or four things. It was one thing, right, that you could do. And and what if we took the time to ask that every, every day? Um what is the one thing that will bring me joy? What is the one thing that will help me take care of myself or allow me to feel resourced or allow me to celebrate myself? I'm going to hear that and what you, what you're sharing. Um, and it takes me back to a question that I want to ask that you, you spoke to earlier. And then I want to talk about your deck um, decks. There are multiple decks. Um, I know you have a, a new one though. So I wanted to ask you about, you mentioned healing and social justice work and, as this, as you and I said earlier, that you're, you said I'm not on the front line, but I'm pouring into people who are on the front line. I'm curious, and it aligns with so much of what you've you've shared in our conversation. I'm curious to know what led you to that, into that role, of of, as your words, pouring into people who are on the front line, um, right? What. I think that's an important role. It seems to align with what you've shared. And I'm um, I'm wondering what led you to that place? Like to be a support person in that way is really what I'm asking about. Yeah, I, I think it's something that I've always done, but I, I know when I got the language for it. And it was um, unfortunately around the, the murder of George Floyd that for me, I think that was the tipping point, right? There had been so much death that we were seeing by un unarmed Black folks. And if I felt like George Floyd was the tipping point for me. And there was a space during that that sort of e experience in which I was like, what should, what, what should I be doing, right? Like, I was like, I don't feel like I'm doing enough. There were, you know, here in Atlanta, there were people going down. There was protests here in Atlanta. And I'm like, but that doesn't feel like the right way to do it. Like, and for me, and it's like, not right. And I say not right way as in we shouldn't protest. I was thinking about for me is like, I don't know if that's the way I show up in the work. And what initially came up for me is like, what if I held space? Because I had some friends that were going that have been consistently going. There was like, oh man, there's no water. You know, folks are tired. We're seeing the same people there, but they're there, they're there for the cause. And talking to other friends that weren't local, realizing that there was a, a lot of fatigue that was sort of happening as everyone was activated, right? And so, you know, I was like, what if I held something for folks who have been protesting? And, and I ended up doing a, a virtual offering. And it was in that, that it was like, 
that's how I approached the work. But then I started pulling back the threads and I thought about the work that I did in higher ed. And I did a lot of leadership development. And part of that was helping my student leaders be the best leaders for the folks that they were serving, whether it was in fraternities and sororities, whether it was student government association or any of those other organizations, it was how do I prepare them to go out and do their work for whatever community, whatever organization they're representing. And so even when I think about that and I, you know, we, as creatives and entrepreneurs doing our work, we sort of think about like, who's coming to my stuff? Like who, who's coming? And I, and I also realize even looking at my work, the people that come to my work are the people that are also doing the work, but are needing space for reflection. And so really sort of leaning into that and allowing that to shape how I approach offerings, how I approach sort of holding space in different ways of really understanding that's an important part of the work. To your point, I don't, it, it might not be the work that is always outlined, but it's like, we all play, there's so many different roles that we can play in, in the activist space of how we show up and how we can contribute. And for me, it was really accepting them that that's okay. And that's a valid form of sort of showing up. And, you know, this was all internal dialogue that was sort of flowing uh, for myself, knowing that, you know, yes, there's a lot of different ways we can show up for the work, but being comfortable. And part of that came from my stillness practice of having this sort of internal dialogue um, and really sort of, you know, assessing things and connecting things from a much more authentic and aligned way. Because I think if I wasn't engaged in those practices, yeah, I would have been out, I would have jumped up out and would have been sort of engaged in the work in a way that wasn't in alignment with how I should be showing up. But it was the nature of slowing down that allowed me to sort of have these different internal dialogues and let them iron themselves out to really see what the path forward is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as you were one, I want to thank you for for the work you do and the way you do it and asking yourself, what can I do and what feels most aligned at this time, right? In the way you described. And the image that came to me, I was protesting many years ago at the North Carolina General Assembly building legislature and and was arrested. And um, there was a whole setup with like people who were waiting for us when we got out of the jail, people who had water for us, people had food, do you need a ride? It's what I was thinking of because you were talking about, do I go and protest or, or do I do something else? Is my work something else or practice something else at this time? And I won't ever forget that I hadn't I did, had not had an experience like that. I had protested before, but not been arrested for it. And I just remember being so grateful for the people and the plan and like the system in place to support the people who, I mean, we had planned to get arrested. I knew that that was likely to happen. So the, so those of us who were engaging in that way, right, that we needed that support system, that web of support. And sometimes I think that web of support is discounted and it's as vital in my mind and heart and spirit as like, protesting and and holding up the sign and refusing to leave the building and calling people out and calling them to be accountable in the way that we were and the way many people are. So I, I just want to uplift that role and that work and that practice because it it's essential. I don't think movements could run without, right, without people who are willing to support the people who are on the front line in the way we're talking about. And yeah, I would actually we, say we're all on the front line, right? Like when you said that, I was like, wait a minute, you are on the front line, right? <laughs> There's not a hierarchy around that. So I just wanted to name that. And I appreciate that. And that's one of the things, you know, as we as we sit and interrogate, part of that is like, even when I think about that language, it's like, 
is that my language to, 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 to that? Or is that something I can put down too? And as you were, were sharing, the, the thing that came up for me is like, it takes a village, right? When we think back to this idea of community and what that looks like for us and what's ingrained in a lot of us in our backgrounds is really this idea of community. And all parts of the community play a vital role for the community to flourish. And so I, I love the idea that like none of it should be discounted. It's all vital. And we all sort of lean into the roles that make sense, but also help keep the community as healthy as it can be. Yeah, I love that. The village, of, co of course, right? That's what it takes, even though we're deeply conditioned to believe that it, I'm doing it or it's me, whatever, right? And there's an unlearning in that. But yeah, that we need each other in that way. I would love to talk some about your um, deck. I said there are multiple decks. But I saw you post about one the other day, which I'm, I need to order and everyone listening should order and I will put a link in the show notes and order all of the other decks too. Um, the Boundless Heart Sadhana deck is the newest one from what I understand. And I would love to hear about this magic, oracle, medicine, threshold, portal, all the things. Yeah, you know, it's again, part of thinking about like how we want to help folks is you know, helping sustain a practice. And as I was thinking about like creative output, I'm like, you know, I think a card deck. And I was thinking about the things that I use and I'm like, I love a good card deck. And so for me, I created a few. It started out with a chakra deck, love the chakras, you know, different affirmations and self. And for me, it's always balanced with affirmations that we can hold as an intention in our practice. And then also self-inquiry questions because there's something powerful about that interrogation that's there of like asking yourself the uncomfortable questions. And so, you know, there was the chakra deck and then there was the kosha deck, which explores the pancha kosha system with the five sheets of our existence. And then for me, I've been just like, what's the next one? Like, these are fun um, to sort of create and pull together. And this whole idea of like compassion and like this ability to remain heart opened to what's happening in the world. And I even think about where we are in terms of like there are two two popular wars that are happening right now. We know there's a lot of conflict around the world, but then also just really thinking about like how easy it is for us to shut off from the people around us. And so in my sort of development, sort of connection to the Buddhist philosophy, the framework of the Brahma Viharas or the four boundless qualities sort of came up for me. And this idea that like loving kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity, these are like boundless qualities. It isn't like, oh, we got a meter of compassion. And then once that's out, can't be compassionate anymore. But in Buddhist philosophy, the idea is that these four qualities, we have a, a, a endless wellspring of these qualities within us. We just got to do the practices to connect to it. And how do we continue to be in connection in a relationship to compassion and not sort of cut ourselves off to that supply? How do we stay in relationship to loving kindness, to joy, to being balanced in this space? And so I felt like this card deck was the one that was like, this feels like it's the time for this one. Um, and sort of leaning into this ability for how can we move forward and cultivate that much more compassion in the world and that much more kindness. And it starts with our own personal practice. And so this card deck is really designed to sort of help us connect to that more intentionally through some of these affirmations and then some self-inquiry questions that help us sort of peel back the layers to how we approach of and how we even conceptualize compassion. How do we conceptualize this idea of kindness and really helping us put language to those? 
Thank you for sharing about it and creating it, of course. And the uh, you started with inquiry and self-discovery, and I can see how that's weaved into everything. <laughs> and the opportunity, right? Like if, you know, one's pulling a card from an Oracle deck, the opportunity to then be with that energy of that card and the medicine on it, but also go further and deeper through self-inquiry and affirmation as well and, and practice in the way you talked about. And it does feel like the perfect time for this now. So again, I'll encourage everyone to to get it and and there'll be a link in the the show notes for folks to access it and your other decks about the kosha system and the chakras and and weaving that into practice as well um thanks for creating this magic and tool for us at this time is there anything else you want to share before we i'm going to say pause our time together because i imagine we will be in space together in some other way sometime it, it will definitely happen I, I know that for a fact um I would say the the thing I like to share all the time is how can we be more gentle with ourselves in the process? I think we talked a lot about like breaking cycles, noticing this friction, sort of unlearning things that we're connected to. And as we take time to slow down and prioritize stillness or connect in ways that feel really good, as we're in this space, how can we be more gentle with ourselves, right? Because again, I just think, I think you mentioned suffering earlier in our conversation is that in our slowing down and being present with ourselves, we also can interrogate how much suffering we inflict upon ourselves with some of the beliefs that we hold on to, things that we're sort of ingrained, that are ingrained in us, um, ways in which we've been taught to show up in the world. And as we start to interrogate that and sort of notice what you can release, what you can shape shift and alchemize into something else, what you can lean into a little bit more, just be gentle in that process. Yeah, I thank you for the reminder of that for us around being gentle and just the process we're in, right? It's a it's a journey, you know, and the the value of being gentle and also recognizing our conditioned responses and conditioned ways of thinking that cause more suffering on top of the suffering that is already just present and part of the human experience. And I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm a beekeeper and I have three beehives. I was out with them earlier, feeding them actually. And they're such good teachers for um, compassion and gentleness and generosity and liminal spaces and all the things. Um, they work between realms. And I'm, I'm thinking about that as I'm thinking about tenderness and gentleness. And I sit with them and listen to their, their hum and watch them do what they do for their hives and their communities and um, because they understand they're in deep relationship with one another. And so I'm just present to them as I was thinking about decreasing suffering and gentleness. They're good teachers for that. So I just want to offer offer that and thank the honeybees and all the beings who remind us to be gentle, that there's another way. There's another path. I love that. There is another way. Yeah, yeah. there is. I want to thank you so much for your presence and i'm so happy we're alive at this time on the planet together at this time and that you are in your practice and um, showing us another way and creating such beautiful offerings so a deep bow of gratitude to you for 
who you are and for being here now in this in this way in this incarnation and sharing yourself with us and thank you for making time to um, talk with me today and journey with me today thank you so much it means again it means the world to be here in conversation and community with you and yeah look forward to doing this some more mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to be continued <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Finding Refuge. If you are enjoying the podcast, I encourage you to share it with friends and family members and to rate it on iTunes. In addition to sharing about this podcast, you can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action, yoga, and social justice. I offer monthly movement, practices, as well as monthly divination readings. Lastly, I want to share that I have a new book that came out in August of 2023. The book is titled A Space for Us, A Guide for Leading Black, Indigenous, and People of Color Affinity Groups published by Beacon Press. This book is a love song and a gift to Black, Indigenous, and people of color, as well as people of the global majority. I encourage you to purchase it if you are interested in facilitating affinity groups for BIPOC and people of the global majority. And if you're interested in learning more about anti-racism work. In addition, many of you know, We Heal Together came out in April of 2023. And thank you for your support of We Heal Together. And I hope you continue to support it and work with it and move through the rituals and practices to build community and connection. Thank you so much and take care.